All right, Psalm 57, as Spencer was just encouraging us, is where we're going to be today. Uh, we spent most of the summer in the Psalms with one little break in the middle, but uh, as we were walking our way through, one of the things that I wanted to be able to kind of focus on today as we get to Psalm 57 is it's a little bit different than the Psalm we looked at last week. Psalm 99 uh, walked us through a few things uh, about who God is, and Psalm 57 is in a slightly different place. And that's one of the things I like about kind of pulling apart the different Psalms is we get different periods of time in the Psalmist's life. And as we come to Psalm 57, David is in trouble. And as we look into his word this morning, into God's word, I want to be able to kind of pull this apart because you may be in a time or a season where you feel like you're in trouble, that there's trials, there's difficulties, stuff is stacked against you. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not a complete opposition, but you just feel like you're not sure what God's doing in your life. And one of the reasons that um, I really enjoyed working my way through this Psalm 57 is because it applies to every single one of us, no matter what the season of life or the time that you're in. No matter what you've been going through or what you are going through or what's coming up, uh, no matter what you have been learning from the Lord or what he's been challenging you with, or, or even if you feel like you might be a little bit distanced from him right now, this psalm applies to your life. So this is a psalm of individual lament. David, David's at a time in his life where things are not going the way he would like, but we're going to see how he pivots in the midst of this time of lament. This is based on a series of events in David's life where Saul uh, is trying now trying to kill him, trying to find him, trying to kill him. He's got his, his army out looking for David. Uh, David had already served Saul. He had helped calm Saul's spirit when he was tormented. He had been around Saul a ton. He was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. So David is very, was very close to the, the royal family. And then all of a sudden, the situation changes. And now David's on the run. He's on the run for his life. God sent a prophet to anoint David because he would be the next king. And Saul did not like that. So where we pick up in Psalm 57 is David's on a run and he's hiding. This is a guy who God's already told he's going to be king. God's already told he's going to work through him in mighty ways and, and bless the kingdom of Israel and God's people. But right now he is hiding in caves. That's where we pick up in Psalm 57. Literally hiding in caves, not just figuratively feeling like he's in a cave, like in a dark room. He is on the run in the wilderness in a cave when he writes this psalm. And here's one of the things that I'm going to give you on the front end that I'll repeat at the end. But it's this phrase I came across as I was reading a few different commentaries and one by uh, John Stott said this, it is better to be in the will of God in a cave than out of the will of God in the king's palace. Okay. It's better to be in the will of God in a cave than out of the will of God in a king's palace. See, David had the favor of the people, and he could have overthrown Saul, I think. I mean, he, he had, you know, it said when David was fighting for Saul, it said Saul had victory over his thousands, but David over his ten thousands. Okay? The people loved David. They knew he was the young, anointed king, and that he would be next. And David could have, when Saul kind of lost his mind and came after him, David probably could have overthrown him and taken the throne. 
But he was convinced that God had told him that that was not the right time and that he was not to, and this is said multiple times throughout Samuel and in the Psalms, that David was not to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. He was going to let the Lord take care of Saul. Whatever it is that God wanted to do with Saul, David was going to wait and and let it play out. So for David, it was better to be in God's will, hiding in a cave in the wilderness, than to be out of God's will and sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. From this life-threatening experience, David gives us three healthy examples and responsibilities of what followers of God should be doing every day. And here's those three. If you have your notes open, it's in there. If you're, if you're following along in your scripture journals, you can write these down. These will be our three kind of main sections of this psalm today. The first is this. David leads us through understanding that every day is a day of prayer. Every day. The mountaintops and the valleys, the good days, the bad days, and everything in between, every day is a day of prayer. Secondly, He walks us through the understanding that every day is a day of praise. That we can praise God no matter the circumstances or where we are simply because of who he is. And then thirdly, and this is the refrain that we see in verse 5 and in verse 11 of this psalm, every day is a day to exalt the Lord. Verse 5 says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse 11, the refrain is repeated. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Every day is a day to exalt the Lord. So every day is a day of prayer. Every day is a day of praise. And every day is a day that you can exalt the Lord. So let's kind of walk our way through, taking into account the situation that David's in. So just remember where he is. He's hiding out in a cave. Okay, And as he's hiding out in a cave, this is what the Spirit of the Lord inspires him to write about. Let's read. Let's read verse 1 all the way down through verse 11. Then we'll kind of go back and look at these three distinctives that David gives us. Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his faith, his steadfast love, and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set apart for my steps, a net for my steps, that my soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, 
above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. May God bless his word to us this morning as we work our way through what he has for us. And I would ask that as we do this, you would place yourself just temporarily this morning in the place that David was in. David had lots of people singing his praises. David had had already a lot of success and victories in life. David knew where he was going because God had already told him. He was anointed to be king and he would follow Saul. And while all those things were true, right now, David's on a run for his life. Saul's got soldiers and armies looking for him. He's trying to kill him. The guy who he served is now after him. And as David does that, he finds himself in a cave. And if you're anything like me, I, I was putting myself, I was trying to put myself in David's shoes here and trying to think, what would I be thinking in his particular you know, spot in life right here? And, he, and you're in this cave. And here's the thing. I, I think most of us probably experience this. When, when there is a specific trial or persecution coming towards us, and most of us don't really face life-threatening opposition. But in the case that we might have, David's in a life-threatening place with opposition coming towards him. And in the middle of this psalm, he lies down and goes to sleep. How do you get there? Anybody ever sleep, sleepless night before? Okay. Those ones where you stay up trying to take control of what God is trying to do, right? Those ones where you're like, my God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm afraid if I go to sleep, it might not happen, right? So you find yourself up all night. You're trying to manage things. You're trying to pull things into your grasp and, and take what God is doing on an eternal and even, even worldwide way, and you're trying to pull it down into something that you can understand and hold on to. And when we try to do that, we don't get a lot of sleep. Because here's the real realization that comes to our minds when we try to grasp what God is doing and pull it down to our understanding and our control. We start to under realize we can't do it. You can't do it. That control is actually an illusion. <laughs> but our sinful hearts, the broken part of us, our flesh strives after that because we want to be exalted. Now, we might not say that out loud, right? But the reality is, if we're in control and we can manage how things go, who gets the glory for that? We do. Somebody will say, hey, really nice job. That was great. You, you controlled, you managed that situation well. You're really good at that. You should do more of that. See, control, uh, a lot of times, control is really around us getting recognition. And David could have. David could have overthrown Saul. People were already singing his praises. People want to follow him into battle. People, I mean, he could have just said, hey, you know what? I'm not waiting. Now's my time. And just taking it. But instead, he's in a cave. And here's what I want to tell you. Hiding in a cave because he was doing the will of God is why he could lay down and go to sleep and get the rest that he needs in order to do what God has for his life because he trusts God in a way that is very fleeting, I think, for most of us in a way that we can all grow in, trusting God in the midst of a situation that we may not like and don't understand. 
David enters right in here in verse one. The first section that we talked about, these three pieces, every day is a day of prayer, every day is a day of praise, every day is a day to exalt the Lord. Verse one, every day is a day of prayer. David enters right in. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. David starts into this psalm by turning his attention to the one being that can actually control things. And he says, God, please be merciful. See, it's not wrong to ask God to take care of you. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to cry out to God because we see that all through scriptures and all throughout history, godly people crying out to the Lord. David starts in here, he says, God, be merciful to me. He's in a cave hiding for his life and he needs to get some rest. Saul's soldiers could have found him in that cave. And if it was while he was sleeping, they could kill him. But he says, be merciful, God. I, I'm trusting you to be merciful with my life. Why? Look at the second part of that verse. He asked God to be merciful because he's running to God for refuge. So, so the request is made, but the action has already taken place. David runs to God. He, he doesn't say, be merciful to me, and then I'll take refuge in you. He says, no, God, be merciful to me because I take refuge in you. My soul is yours. My soul is yours to protect. It's yours to do what you want with. I take refuge in you. He says it twice, once at the beginning of verse 1, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. He's repeating himself, and then he says, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. And remember this picture. We talked a little bit about this last week. The, the wings that David is referring to are not the wings of a bird. Okay? These are the wings of the mercy seat of God that sits on top of the altar, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. The cherubim's wings come out and the presence of God resides in the, in the midst there, in the Ark. And David knows this, and David says, I am looking for mercy, the mercy seat, and I'm looking for mercy under your wings. David is picturing the holy of holies. He's, he's picturing the place where God's presence is with his people. And as he pictures that, he says, that's what I'm placing myself under. God's protection under his wings where his mercy can be found. Verse 2, he goes on with this prayer. He starts out by praying, and now he's, he's witnessing about the Lord. He says, I cry out to God the Most High. Just in case you were wondering which God David was talking about, he was talking about the one true God. Not all these false gods of the, the nations around them, all the other things that people would worship, all the things in, in these, these false gods made with human hands, that look like something we can understand or grasp. He says, I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. 
He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. This is a witness to the Lord's character and care and power. Notice the tense of the word, the tenses of the word here. He says, I cry out to the Lord most high, and secondly, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Think about that. David is hiding in a cave, running for his life, and he says, God is fulfilling his purpose in my life right now. In a cave, not in the, the palace, not on the throne, not even in the court of the king waiting his turn, but in a cave in the wilderness, dark, damp, isolated. He professes what God is doing because he trusts God completely. He says right here in this cave, what is God doing? God who fulfills, present tense, is fulfilling his purpose for me. Right then and there. That's a challenge for us, isn't it, as God's people? You get in those kind of moments, you're usually asking, God, I wish you would do something different, right? Man, I can't wait to get out of this trial so God can use me and do something with my life. No, he's doing something right then, right in the middle of it. When it looks the worst, when you feel the lowest, when you don't think anybody is actually with you, God is with you and he is fulfilling Present tense, fulfilling his purpose in your life in every situation. He goes on with the present tense in verse 3. He will send from heaven and save me. David is sure of this. He's not saying, I hope he sends. <laughs> I hope he comes. I hope he saves me. Why? Because David knows how much God loves him and how much God has a plan for his life. So he says, he's going to save me. I know he's going to. He will send from heaven and he will save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. And this is an interesting part here too for us as human beings. I'm sure, and we don't get it right here, but I'm sure that David had inklings inside of him to want to go take his own vengeance on Saul. He's a human being. We see other Psalms where David talks about this, Right? Rain fire down on my enemies, right? David says that in other places, okay? So we know that David has part of, it, part of him that wants to go make this right on his own. But what does he do here? And you can almost see the progression in this prayer. He says, be merciful to me. I take refuge in you. You will get me through the storms. I cry out because you are fulfilling your purpose in my life right now. You will put to shame he who tramples on me. The Lord will take care of it. You don't need to. Maybe that's something you need to hear this morning, or maybe it's something you need to hear now because you'll need it in the future. When somebody comes against you or somebody tries to slander you or pull you apart or take you down, what are you going to do and how are you going to respond? I think David's given us a small picture here of what we see Christ doing. As we look forward... We see Christ when brought into the courts before he's crucified and all the accusations are coming at him. What does he do? He stands silently. Knowing that the Father in heaven was going to take care of all of it. Now it was going to get hard and it was going to get really painful. 
But God was fulfilling his purpose, just like in David's life. Don't feel the need to get back at people. Don't feel the need to, even in the midst of it, if something's coming at you, don't feel the need to defend yourself and prove everybody wrong. Let the Lord take care of it. Entrust yourself to him. Let him be your refuge. And then remind yourself like David here, he will send from heaven and save me. He will fulfill his purpose. And then the last part of verse three, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. See, if you look in scripture there, there's, there's a little, if you're, if you're reading along with me in your Bible, at the middle of verse three, after it says, he will put to shame him who tramples on me, there's a little word probably over to the right margin of your Bible. It says selah, okay? This word selah is this idea of, hey, pump the brakes for a minute. Just, I mean, that's not the actual interpretation. That's not, but it's the idea of that, okay? It's, it's the idea of, hey, stop, pause, take a breath, Remember what's going on here. And remember who God is. See, he comes right off the statement of, God is going to trample him who tramples on me. God is going to put him to shame. And he could keep going, right? Because that's typically what happens with some of us. You start getting worked up there, right? Take him out, God. Right? But, but here's what David does do. He, he pauses for a minute. Right, and, and I'm, I'm convinced God does this for him. He has some hip pause, and then the next statement isn't, take him out, God. It's, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Right, the, because oftentimes that's usually what happens. When you want to respond to something, that's usually a good time to not respond. It's usually the right time to just hit pause for a second, take a breath, Remember that God is in control and who he is. And then remember, God will send his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He will. He is steadfast in his love. He is great in his faithfulness. And he will send it to you. It may not always come in the package that you were expecting. But it'll come. In David's case, he's running for his life in a cave. And all of a sudden, he's reminded of God's steadfast love and his great faithfulness. Look at the next verse. We go into verse four. He continues on in this prayer. He prays, he witnesses of who God is and what God will do. And now he moves into a recognition that there is definitely a very real enemy coming at him. He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Because there's people out there in David's life right now saying things about him that aren't true, coming at him, making accusations. Saul is coming at him like a, like a fiery beast that says whose teeth are like spears and arrows and tongues are like sharp swords. Now we know that people can be like that, right? Here's, here's how we know people can be like that because you and I can be like that. So let's be a little honest here, right? Scripture is very clear that our tongues are like a sharp sword, that they will cut people. They will hurt others by the things we say about people or to people, that we have that in us to do that in the flesh 
We can damage those around us with our tongue. But God calls us to do something different. Saul and David are on two different sides of God's will in this moment. At one point in Saul's life, he was directly in the will of God. He became the king that the people asked for. God gave him to the nation of Israel. He led well for a season. He followed the Lord for a season. But at some point in there, he turned from God. We don't always know exactly what went on with Saul. I mean, there's events we can see in history that might have turned him or, or made him you know, come back into himself instead of trusting the Lord. But we don't totally know. But at some point in Saul's life, he turned from the will of God and took things into his own hands. Even now, as he knows God anointed the next king, he says, no, if I kill that next king, maybe I can hold on to the throne. And how infantile is that? God says, he's going to be king next. If I kill him, then I'll get to be, keep being king. Well, you're going to die. It comes to all of us. No, none of us are immortal. But that's the problem. When we turn our back on God and we get out of the will of God, we start doing things that we would otherwise never do. There was a season in Saul's life where I'm sure if he'd have heard where he was at right now, he'd have said, no, I'll never do that. That's horrible. But turning our back from God on small little things eventually puts us in a place where we end up doing stuff we would never have thought we would do. And we look back in our life, we're like, how in the world did I get there? And instead of repenting, Saul presses on and goes after David. And David gives us this little description in verse 4. He just says, this is a bad scenario. These people are trying to come at me, and they are coming at me like like spears and arrows and swords. But there's an interesting little three words there in the second part of verse four. I lie down. See, in the midst of this, the three verses before this allow David to, in the midst of verse four, lie down and get his sleep. Even though he is being attacked, and in David's case, physically attacked. Even though he's being attacked, he remembers God's steadfast love, his faithfulness. He remembers that he will send from heaven and save him. He remembers that he will put to shame his opposition. He remembers that he can cry out and God is fulfilling his purpose currently and that he can take refuge in God and that God will be merciful. All those truths come back to his mind. So he gets to verse four and he's like, yeah, the enemy's real here, but I can still rest. Why? Because the truth I just reminded myself of in the first three verses. And verse five is the wrap-up. He goes right here from here, description of his enemy into the refrain of this psalm. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, Saul was after his own glory at this point in his life. David was declaring that it's about God's glory. And that's why we see this Psalm getting preserved for us because we watch this go on in David's life and David responds in a way that God wants to preserve for us to do, for us to know. Can we declare every day this truth from verse five? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It's a phrase that I've heard a lot from some people who had built into my life and, and gone before me and older pastors, and it said, don't be a glory stealer. Don't try to steal God's glory. 
Be content as a recipient of his righteousness through Jesus to let him get all the glory. And know that you've gotten everything you need by being made new in Christ. You don't need to go get more. You don't need to search out more. David doesn't need to be sitting on a throne. He knows who God is and he knows who God's created him to be. So he's sitting in the cave. And sitting in a cave, he says, let your glory go over all the, all the earth, Lord. Just so that we remember that David is also human, he goes back in verse 6, okay? He goes back to talking about the enemy again, okay? We, we know this, right? This is, this is our problem. We need to be reminded more than once. David actually comes full circle here back into verse 6. Now he starts talking about the enemy again. He's like, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. But they have fallen into it themselves. Let's think about this. Do we really think that the people, the armies pursuing David dug a pit and then fell into their own pit? No, that really didn't happen. I mean, I don't, I think if that happened, we would, that would have been preserved for us and we'd be like, look at God running people into their own pit that they just dug. I mean, this is, okay, we don't, that's not actually what happened. This is a picture here, folks. What's the pit that the enemies dug for David? The pit was that David would take matters into his own hands and go outside the will of God. That's the pit. That's the trap. That in Saul's pursuit, the trap was David would say, I've had enough of this and I'm doing it myself. And instead of David falling in that pit, he can look and see my enemies fell in their own pit. They're doing it themselves. They're taking matters into their own hands. David goes right from there at the end of verse 6. Notice every time he goes at the people that are coming at him, right? Back in verse 3, God will put to shame those who trample on me. Selah. Okay, take a breath. Calm down. Now he gets up here. They've dug a pit for me. They've fallen into it themselves. And you could almost think, maybe David was going to keep going, right? I hope they wallow in that pit. I hope they never get out, right? But he doesn't keep going. Instead, he stops. He says, Selah. Okay, pause, take a minute. Let's remember, this is not about me. This is not about my enemies. This is about who? This is about God. So in his pause, he comes back in verse seven. He goes right into this. So he's talked about prayer in the first five verses. And then in the second set, he's talking about praise. He's praising God for who God is and what he's done. Look at verse seven with me. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. And I'm not sure here if David is declaring that because it's true or declaring it because he's trying to remind himself, right? My heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, right? Okay, here we go. My heart is steadfast, right? But he is declaring it nonetheless. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O oh harp and lyre. We already know David's a musician, right? He cut his teeth out in the middle of the fields with the sheep, with his harp, singing to God and learning about him. Then he went into Saul's court, playing his harp and singing for Saul to calm his soul when he was troubled. David's a musician, so he says here, I'm going to sing and make melody. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn, he says. I am going to be singing in this cave when the sun comes up. 
He goes on in verse 9, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Not I will when you finish or when you save me, but I will right now in this cave. I will sing praises to you. I will give thanks to you. Why? Because he was sitting on the throne room, eating anything he wanted to and drinking whatever he liked and having servants serve him and people sing his praises? No, not because of that, because God is who God is. And he knew how much God loved him. That's why he gave thanks. That's why he could sing praises in the middle of a cave. Verse 10 is a refrain almost like the end of verse 3. See, in verse 3, if you look back with me, the last part of verse 3, he says, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Now we get down to verse 10. After he's declaring praise and singing and giving thanks to God, verse 10, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. The picture is your love and your faithfulness is everywhere and it fills everything. Your steadfast love, just like verse 3. Your faithfulness, just like verse 3. David comes full circle back to a reminder of how you can lay down and take a nap in the midst of a trial. Some of you are thinking, I can take a nap anytime I want. That's good for you. But most of us struggle when there's stuff going on. Okay? You feel like I'm going to lay down, then nothing's going to get done. I can't control the scenario. Right? David shows us how you lay down and take a nap when somebody's trying to kill you. You hide first in the cave, then you lay down and take a nap, okay? And let's not be stupid about it here, right? He finds a cave, he gets in the cave, he reminds himself of how good God is, and God's glory and faithfulness and love over, is over everything. And then he takes a nap knowing that I'm going to wake up singing thanksgiving and praises to God. I'm going to. Because he is the one I go to for refuge. Look at the characteristics throughout this particular psalm. He is the one who is merciful. He is the one who will, will give me refuge. He is the one who fulfills his purpose. He is the one who sends and saves me. He is the one who will put others to shame, not me. He is the one who is steadfast, loving, and faithful. All these characteristics of God. This, this is how you get through hard times. You have to know who God is. If you don't know who God is, those hard times will shake your whole life and rock you to the core. Kind of like Saul. It, Saul is such a complex character in God's story. But at this point in Saul's life, he is not trusting God and following him. But we see a picture of David being a faithful servant of God. Verse 11 is the refrain cycles back for us. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse 5 and verse 11 tells us this. Every day is a day to exalt the Lord. Can can we remember that together as a church family? 
every day is a day to exalt the Lord. Every day. Some days will be harder than others. It's still good. Every day is a day to exalt the Lord. While walking my way through this and picturing what David was going through and how he was responding, a quote came to me that my grandfather used to say to me all the time. Leon Papke used to tell me all the time, and I don't know if it's original with him. I'm sure somebody else said it, but it was this, and I think David is exemplifying it here for us. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Because in the light is when you see clearly. In the darkness is when you might get fooled. Don't forget who God is just because you happen to be in a place you don't like. Because God didn't change. He is faithful and loving and merciful and your refuge and steadfast and all those things when life is going the way you'd like to and when you're on a mountaintop and when you're in that valley or you're hiding in a cave, he is still all those things. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. And lastly, I want to read a couple verses out of 1 Corinthians 10 that remind us of this. And I think this is kind of the overall picture that we see from David in all three of these things. Every day is a day of prayer. Every day is a day of praise. And every day is a day to exalt the Lord. Because of this, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that we are to do everything that we do for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Do everything that we do to the glory of God. When you wake up in the morning, when you get out of bed, get out of bed to the glory of God. He got you up one more day. The older you get, the more thankful you are. When you get out of that bed and you go find your cup of coffee, I don't drink coffee, so I miss this opportunity, but drink that cup of coffee to the glory of God. When you go out to your car and you get in your car, thank God that you have a car. When you go out and you walk out and you get on the bus to go to work, thank God that he gave you a bus to get to work. If you're going to walk to work, thank God that he gave you two feet to walk to work. When you get to work, thank God for your job. When you're doing something else with your day, if you're home and you're working in your house, or you're helping one of your neighbors, do that to the glory of God. When you check your bank account, do that to the glory of God. When you eat throughout your day, do that to the glory of God. And when you get done with all your day and you wrap it all up and you're going back to that same bed that you got out of for the glory of God, get back in that bed to the glory of God. See, this, this is, David was getting this. Now, David wasn't perfect. We gotta remember this, right? David is not to be glorified here. God is. David wasn't perfect. He had times where he missed it too. But in this moment, in Psalm 57, it's a wonderful reminder for us what it looks like to do everything to the glory of God, including hiding in a cave for your life. Do that to the glory of God too. Hopefully you never have to. But if you did, 
could you do that for God's glory too? So whether you find yourself on a king's throne or hiding in a cave, God can and should be exalted by your words and your deeds. If we truly not only know, but believe that God is merciful, loving, faithful, and good, then our life will reflect it in all seasons. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with that because God knows we need help. We need his help through the Holy Spirit and we need each other's help and encouragement as we go. 